I had muted it without knowing it. Our church family has uh, been through an emotional roller coaster of late. I thought yesterday, what a great time together. The wedding of Trey and Kate and their family that we all love so deeply. What a great celebration. And then I thought about the great anticipation of Logan's baby around the corner to come. What, what a lot to celebrate. And then, of course, I thought about our dear sister Shirley. And um, I thought about Kathy Honeaker as well. Farley really had a rough time a couple of weeks ago. Didn't know if he was going to live or not. And, um, of course, with uh, Shirley's son, Robert, and her daughter-in-law, Sherito. And, but, you know, regardless of whether we're up or whether we're down, we have a God who hasn't moved. We have a God who gives us hope. And when we meet him on that glorious day, whether it's through the rapture or whether it's through a personal appointment, we'll meet him. And through Jesus Christ, it'll be a glorious day. We are in the book of Revelation, and we are going to look at a number this morning. Uh, of course, we all know that triple number that's so famous. You guys can quote it for me. It's three numbers in a row. It's Lisa says, you know, it's not one that we really like to... But what's that number? It's 666. And today we're going to look at another number that's very significant and often discussed in the book of Revelation. It's the number 144,000. So with that in mind, if you will open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 7. And we will also turn after this reading to chapter 14. And yes, if you stand in honor of God's and his word Revelation 7, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea. Or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. And now turn over me to chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. 
No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for, Lord, this insight, this truth from your word of what is ahead, Lord. And I just pray that you guide us in our time, that we look at your truth, O God. Holy Spirit, we need you to speak. And Father, just reveal to us your truth, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, there have been a lot of people uh, who have used this number 144,000, and they have come up with some different interpretations for sure. One such group, uh, which is known as realism, who are believers in UFOs, probably the biggest believers of UFOs in the world, based mainly in France and Germany and other countries in Europe, and they take this number, 144,000, to speak of aliens who were sent here from the planet Venus under a god of fire to populate the earth. And there have been bishops and priests attracted from other religions to support these 144,000 Venusians who would habitate our earth. And uh, probably more popular today in our own land are Seventh-day Adventists who are known to believe that there are 144,000 true believers made known by their observance of the true holy day of worship, the Sabbath on Saturday, who have a strange mixture, as you say, them of the Old and the New Testaments. In fact, they... I actually believe that uh, the interpretation of the beast um, or those, well, I guess we fall in the mix, those worship on Sunday instead of on Saturday. Um, oh, well. <laughs> Colossians 2.16, it tells us that no one is to act as a judge in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So the scripture particularly tells us that the day we worship on is not what sets us apart as belonging to God or what negates our relationship with God. But the truth is our faith is based upon the grace of God in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So it's not the day that you worship on. And then, of course, as often comes to our minds, are the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that there will be 144,000 of Jehovah's hand-picked witnesses who are set apart to comprise the true redeemed, rescued believers. But, you know, there is a real problem here. Um, there are more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. So, you know, what do they do with the leftovers? What happens with that issue? Well, 
of the teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses came up with some doctrine to be able to update that issue where there are 144,000 of the heavenly band reserved for some of those first believers that came into the mix of Jehovah's Witnesses, the charter members per se. And then when the numbers came up that there's estimating our world at least 288,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, what do you do? So now they have 144,000 more who are registered not to be in heaven, but upon the new earth. But then the numbers just keep increasing. So what do we do after that? Well, they came up with another band called the Servant Band. That's a band that's faithful. So for those of you guys who believe there'll be no bands in heaven... That doesn't fit with the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses of a surprise. But what do the scriptures, as we look at the teaching of the scriptures in the book of Revelation, who are these 144,000? It is interesting, the last time we looked at our text, we looked at the opening of the sixth seal, we looked at the judgment of God, very frightening truth of the destruction and and what will occur. And now there's a break in the judgment of God as God wants to reveal to us a very special group of people that have been set aside for His purpose to serve Him who are described as the 144,000. And that's who we want to look at this morning. And so let, let's just begin as we look at our first verse. It tells us after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. So there's a holding back of that judgment. There's a pause in the carrying out of this seal of the judgment. Of God. Now, the first thing you think of is the critics look at this and say, Poor Todd. All those poor Christians. Don't they know that the earth is not flat? I thought that was dealt with a long time ago. How can you have corners on a globe? How is that truly possible? That's not science. When science and the Bible disagree, it's the Bible. That is wrong. But it's really interesting, though. There is a segment of scientists. It's called the science of geodesy. And the science of geodesy studies the shape of the earth. And I just want to read to you. that This is a, from this science, which is of applied mathematics. What some of the scientists in this field have written. One scientist wrote, The earth is not really a perfect sphere at all, but is slightly flattened at the poles. And has an equilateral bulge caused by the earth's rotation. It has a bulge around its middle. Can a few of you identify that? You know, like Mike Warnicke used to say, you can always tell a guy's on the level if his bubble's in the middle. But uh, in this case, uh, with the earth, another scientist writes this. Because of the equatorial bulge and the flattening at the poles, there are four corner protrusions. One at each pole and two at opposite ends of the strategic equatorial diameter. There is more. (laughs) These four corners play a role in controlling the great atmospheric circulation 
which governs the winds of the earth. Isn't that interesting? So science actually proves and dictates that, yes, in the way that the earth moves and the rotation of the earth, there is, according to science, four corners that control the atmospheric condition and the winds. But we know ultimately who controls all of this. It is the Lord himself. You know, something else that's interesting here, too. I'm going to get politically incorrect, but we live in an age that talks about saving the earth. And there is a lot of fear of destroying the earth and how there won't be any trees. Um, there won't be any clean air. But isn't it interesting here in this verse, as we look at the judgment of God that's moving forward, and it says, blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree. So when we get to God's judgment, there will be a tree left. There will be trees that are left. As a matter of fact, turn over to chapter 8. I just want to make mention of this in the midst of judgments. Um, verse 7, it says, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. Hmm. And all the green grass was burned up. There's still green grass. In the midst of that judgment that will come. So somehow <laughs> the earth has survived in spite of all the oxygen consuming, water drinking, pollution exploding, carbon footprinting, and dare I say global warming climate change. Look, I am not saying we are not to be good stewards of our planet. We are. But what I am saying is we don't have to be alarmist and worry constantly about this planet is going to be destroyed by our bad stewardship. This planet, the judgment that will come, it'll not be because of us. It'll be God and his judgment. He's the one that's in charge and it's an affront to his sovereignty to act as if he plays no role in the end of our planet. 1 Corinthians 10.26 tells us the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's his. It's his. Now, I want to look at the ceiling of the 144,000. Uh, next verse, verse 2. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. This word seal would have been known in that day to refer to the signet of the ring of a ruler as he would leave his mark that he is the one in power. Or the one who has authority and who has control. So this is a picture of a king's control and power. The ultimate picture of the sovereign king of God himself. And his power is the seal that we discover and that we learn about. Just some basic truths here. Uh, 
you know, sometimes in Revelation, we become so symbolic and we're looking for, you know, what is the meaning behind the meaning and all of that. But, you know, I just want to be real simple and real blunt of what we see in our text here. First, these 144,000 are Jews. Notice it says in verse 4, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And you come for those and say, no, this is the church. These are not Jews. So the question is, well, which tribe of Christians are these which are being described? And there are others that say, well, you know, no, speaking of the lost tribes. But God doesn't lose anything. Maybe in Peter Pan there's lost boys. But in the scriptures, there's not really something that God doesn't see or God doesn't know. And the idea of lost Tribes are God's lost people are not true. God knows where his people are. Fact number two, there are 144,000 of them. And, you know, that's what verses five through eight are about. As each tribe is listed and there are 12,000 from each tribe, which are specifically listed. And they are given a special visible mark. We learn and that's what we're going to turn to as we look at the next section of Scripture, which is chapter 14. So turn with me there to chapter 14 as we learn more about these 144,000 witnesses, these Jewish believers. He says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. They heard from heaven. So they are at Mount Zion. They are standing there, but they are hearing from above, which indicates that they are presently not in heaven as they hear this um, it, it was not strange to John's generation for people to have something stamped on their foreheads, as we read here in verse 1. There are those as they would show their loyalty and to whom they belonged, which God, which ruler, which leader, by having that insignia stamped upon the forehead. Because, I mean, hey, that's the most conspicuous place. It's hard to hide something on your forehead, <laughs> Today in India, there are millions of Hindu women who have an ornamental mark placed on their foreheads called a bindi. And this little dot that is placed upon their foreheads signifies that they are married. And it is a way of being able to show that you belong to a man which is required in India to have this bindi. It, it takes Kind of the place, the same kind of symbol as a wedding ring. And for those ladies who have money and are able, they have a dazzling red bendy up on their foreheads. And those who are poor may have one that, that stands out less. But it still shows the loyalty and devotion to her husband. And by the way, the, the beast, the coming Antichrist, he also will have his followers marked with their own seal. And we read about that in uh, Revelation 13, 16. 
if you want to check that out later. But uh, secondly, the 144,000 are sealed with supernatural protection. In other words, these Jews are unable to be put to death. Chapter 7, we see that they are sealed to stand with the Lord as the kingdom is about to be ushered in at the end of the tribulation. Here's what one commentator, John Phillips, writes about this. He says, The mobilized armies of the earth will not be able to touch a hair of the heads of these sealed ones. The concentration camps and torture chambers of the beast's fearful inquisition will leave them unscathed. The fire will not kindle upon them. The secret place will have dossiers as thick as prison walls, but they will be unable to harm them. The seal of God rests upon them and they are secured. Come what may, they will be a living proof to the devil that not only is his secular power strictly limited by divine decree, but in the end, he cannot win. If he cannot conquer these Jews, then he simply cannot possibly win. In the end, why? Because they are sealed as God's sovereign possession and thus have his supernatural protection. Third, um, they are sealed with his power. With his power. It's beautiful as we read that they... We're able to be witnesses with power. As God would would enable them to be his great witnesses. No doubt the enemy is mad. Satan would love to wipe them out. But through their faithfulness the gospel would spread to touch the world. Many would come to the truth of God. Although Satan and his hand puppet, the Antichrist, would try to wipe them out. They are not able to do that because God had a purpose for them. Until that purpose was finished, (laughs) they were protected. And then fourthly, the 144,000 are sealed as a symbolic pledge. Uh, Notice in verse 4, it tells us that uh, they are described as the first fruits to God. And the Lamb. It is a picture that they are saved to the glory of God. To a first fruits of, of God is there and God is alive and God is at work. And here is evidence of God's work. These 144,000. As one writer wrote, we've never met a Ninevite, a Gergeshite, an Amalekite, a Hittite, a Jebusite, an Amorite, or any other mosquito bite. But we met a Jew. In 1936, the mayor of New York, Mayor LaGuardia, he had a problem on his hands. Uh, Of course, a lot of Jews in New York City. And there was a Nazi representative coming to New York City. And the dilemma was, who, who to protect this guy? Obviously, there would be a lot of bad feelings toward him. It was very interesting He decided to choose bodyguards, security guards, who are Jews, to be able to prove to this man, we are not filled with hate. We are not filled with prejudice. We will protect you instead of harm you and instead of display hate to you. Can you imagine the hatred? That will will occur in this time. Not only are these 
people, followers of Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel, they're Jewish. There's the double whammy. Uh, Today we refer to these people in a sense as Messianic Jews. They're Jewish in heritage, but now the true heritage of the true Messiah has entered their hearts. And thus they are fulfilled in God, in Christ, the true Messiah. They're sealed as God's sovereign possession, sealed with supernatural protection, sealed with spiritual power, and sealed as a symbolic pledge. You know, it strikes me, we in Christ, the scriptures tell us that we too have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And to that coming day, sealed for the day of redemption, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. All right, um, they're physically marked with a seal. We are spiritually marked with a seal. The 144,000 were also marked with characteristics that should mark us today, sealed by the Spirit of God. So let's look at these as we close our message here. Um, first, they're to be marked by purity. Look here again in verse 4. It says, um, These are those who do not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. In other words, um, with God's people, meeting God in the air, and even with the movement of these evangelists, these 144,000 witnesses who have the very power of God, what is rampant in that day is there, man, there's nothing holding back the desires and, and, and the, the, the wicked cravings of the sinful nature. And man, anything is, anything is go. As long as it's between two consenting adults. And you know, maybe in that day it won't even have to be that. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. That we should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of us should learn to control our own bodies in a way that is holy. And honorable. That marks these men in that day. That's to mark us today. God has boundaries. That are to mark our lives. We are not to be known that people that just chase after every urge. We are to be a people who are set apart for him. Big big difference. It's what they specifically are marked by. They kept themselves chaste, pure. We're told to flee those youthful lusts and desires in 2 Timothy 2.22. Matter of fact, every time it talks about sexual temptation, it just says, run! Don't play with it. Don't think about it. Don't debate it. Run! Why? Because it's such a powerful temptation. I love what Robert McMurray Cheyenne, the 19th century Scottish preacher, said. He He died a young man. He wrote, it's not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. He says, a holy minister or holy Christian is a powerful weapon in the hand of God. All right, secondly, I've got to move on here quickly. The 144,000 are marked by loyalty. Man, I love this section of verse in verse 4. They follow the Lamb. Wherever he goes. That's good stuff. Not a bad memory verse. They follow the lamb. Wherever he goes. 
I can't think of anything I'd like people to mark me by. Can you? Wouldn't it be good? Um, I just start calling everybody by name, right? He follows the lamb. She follows the lamb. Wherever the lamb goes, there he is. There she is. Following the lamb. Hey, that marked their lives. Third, the 144,000 are marked by honesty. Notice in verse 5, no lie was found in their mouths. Now, in John 8, 44, we're told that the father of lies is our enemy, is the devil. (laughs) The opposite of that, obviously, is the father of all truth. What marks us? The father of lies or the father of all truth? They were marked by truth. We, too, should be marked by truth. And then finally, marked by destiny. Notice the last phrase here in verse 5. They are blameless. Now, now the word does not mean perfect. You're not one of those Christians. That's never wrong. You know, just have it fully together. No, that's not what we're talking about here. The word doesn't mean perfect. It means justified. Uh, matter of fact, the word in that day, it literally was referenced to the blameless, blamelessness of a sacrifice offered to God. Um, hey, for us, it's always the blamelessness of the sacrifice offered to God on a place called Calvary. On an old tree, we know. That sacrifice. And it is that sacrifice that still is the source of any blamelessness that is blameless. Because there's only one blamelessness. That of Jesus. Who we receive by salvation. And he gives us sanctification. And he covers us by his own perfect sacrifice. Jude one twenty four. We stand in the presence of God's glory. Glory. Blameless with great joy. That's some good stuff to think about. There's great joy because God's not looking at my mess. He's looking at the glory of Jesus on me. It's just just good. (laughs) We're not perfect, but we are enveloped by Christ's perfection. So the question remains, can people see our mark? Do we bear the marks of God's witnesses in our daily lives. Um, I close with this uh, quote of John Wesley. Give me a hundred believers who love nothing but God. And hate nothing but sin. And I will shake the world for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your priceless word. I thank you for these 144,000 witnesses. Father, uh, who belong to you, and who you will use mightily in that day, Lord. But what about now, Father? Um, There's still a time, and you still call witnesses before that ultimate time of judgment unfolds. People need to hear about Jesus, and they need to hear about the hope, and they're looking for a witness. Where can they find a witness? Is there a witness available? 
And I guess the question that comes, what about me? I pray this morning as we think about these questions, Lord. So convicting. What does that mean for me? Have I heard the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ personally? Have I received the forgiveness that comes from the one sacrifice that pays for all sin? All the sins I have committed, all the sins I will commit. Do I know about that? Have I trusted Jesus who gave his very life that I might have life? And Father, if the answer is no, what a great time to make that yes. And Father, for others who are just not living under the sacrifice of Jesus, but have drifted, what a great time to come back. We have an altar that is open. Lord, bring people to the altar that may need to be at the altar, Lord. And may we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.